This morning, this afternoon, our passage comes from Romans 5. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11, though focus on verse 9 especially and a little bit on 8. This is the holy and errant word of God. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know, the grass withers and the flower fades. The Word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that you would minister to us by your holy and errant Word this afternoon. That you would write its eternal truths upon our hearts. That you might receive all the glory and the praise from your people. In Christ's name we pray, amen. It's Good Friday, 2020. I think 2020, I think when I was a, when I was a kid and you'd hear about 2020, that always felt like some kind of futuristic date, the kind of date that science fiction novel, novel writers would use in their books. It just felt off the charts. And you hear about 20, you hear about Good Friday, and our minds immediately run to the past and of a historical moment. And Good Friday 2020, these, these two come together. And rightfully so, Good Friday and 2020 would be united as it were together, because Good Friday has importance in 2020. It has presence in 2020. It has meaning for 2020. It has something to communicate in 2020. It's almost cliche now if it wasn't such an important question. But something horrific ha happens, 9-11 Hurricane Katrina, COVID-19, and almost immediately, within days, if not hours, you begin to see newspaper articles and editorials and magazines and online, and the question is asked, well, where is God? And in that question, there's always an accusation. Where is God? Why didn't He do something? Why didn't He show Himself? And behind that is always the question of, does God really exist? 
who is God. If he was really alive, if he is really what men say he is, then why didn't he show himself? Theologians have long talked about the, the deus, the skanditus, that is the hidden God. It was, a, it was a favorite phrase of Martin Luther's. It was a, a phrase, an idea that John Calvin often returned to, that God is hidden. There's a hiddenness about Him. This idea is also in the Scriptures. We see it throughout the Scriptures. Maybe Isaiah 45, verse 15 is the best along these lines. Isaiah writes, Truly you are a God who hides Himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. There's mystery with God. There's a mysteriousness about Him. There's a, a hiddenness about Him. And that's necessarily so. Why? Because He's infinite. And we're finite. We can't in and of ourselves grasp God and all of His infiniteness, who He is. There's a gulf between the Creator and the creation. If there wasn't, if you and I could somehow wrap our minds around Him, then He would be controllable. He would be reduced to, to something that we can manage. No, there's an inability in us to understand the depths of God, the, the infinite vastness of His majesty. We, we can't plumb those depths of our finitude. There's also the fact that He is spirit, and so there's an inability to study Him. We, we can't put Him underneath our microscopes, if you will, and, and subject Him to our kind of examination and our prodding and, and our examining and probing. But it's not only that, it's also that there is an inability because of our fallenness. It's not only that we aren't able to seek out the depths of God, we don't desire to do so. Our sin leads us away from Him. And so there is a a hiddenness about our God. But as Luther used to like to say an awful lot, the same God who is the hidden God is also the God who reveals Himself. He's the revealed God. You don't have to ask, where is God? He's already answered that question. You don't have to ask the question, who is God? He has already revealed Himself to us. You don't have to ask, what is God like? He's already clearly proclaimed who He is and what He is like. And that's needed. It's needed 
because he's, he's so far above my thoughts. I cannot work my way up to God. I can't climb some kind of ladder of knowledge to ascertain who He is. But I don't have to do the impossible because God's revealed Himself. He's revealed Himself in nature. He's revealed Himself in history. He reveals Himself in the Scriptures and in the sacraments and in prayer. More than in anything else, He reveals Himself in and through the Son, in and through Christ. If you and I were to ask, well, where does God most reveal Himself in the life of Christ? The answer would be, it's not in His life. It's in His death. It's in the death of Christ that God most reveals Himself to us. If we want to know who God is, we most clearly see Him at the cross. It is God's greatest self-revelation, and there could be nothing greater. What does God reveal at the cross? Well, much. But two things, especially want us to see this afternoon. His holiness and His love. His unique holiness and His unequal love. When you and I, when we think with our human minds upon the cross, we, we think, well, that's a silly way for God to reveal Himself. Superman is revealed as he triumphs over gravity and he soars through the air. Uh, a musician reveals that he is a great musician as his notes that he plays or that he sings kind of triumph over everyone that's in the room. An artist reveals that they are a great artist by a painting that hangs in all of its splendor upon the wall. How could a death upon a cross give us insight into the eternal God? It is a horrible scene of weakness. He hangs there. He hangs there bruised, beaten. crown of thorns upon his head, stripes on his back, nails driven through his hands and his feet, a spear that has been plunged into his side, and sweat pours down his body, and blood streams down. It's ghastly, it's horrific, 
It is weakness that is displayed. And everyone in the scene seems to to come to the same realization. The passers-by on the path hurl insults at him. Soldiers that are at his feet mock him. The women that are standing at a distance, they, they weep and they cry. The sounds, the sight, the smells. It's a horrifying and it's a ghastly scene. But it's also beautiful. Because there our God is revealing Himself to us in a demonstrable way. We see a God who is uniquely holy. How much does God hate sin? How much does He oppose sin? Well, we see it at the cross. His holiness is on full display before a world that is caught within the grips of sin and suffering from the effects of sin and under the malady of sin. You can see at the cross how much He hates sin. Hear the wrath of God towards sin and all its hosts is displayed. He's opposed to it and so judgment had to be rendered, justice had to be upheld and so the Father sends His Son to bear the weight of that sin, the guilt of that sin, the judgment for that sin. And the Son willingly offers Himself up as a sacrifice so that justice can be upheld. So that holiness, the holiness of God might be magnified before a world that is caught in the grip of sin. The unique holiness of God is on full display. He can't let sin go unpunished. He, he won't just laugh at sin and its effects in this world. And neither will he turn a blind eye to it. He won't just dismiss it as nothing, but he will judge it. He will condemn it. He will forsake it. He's holy. The cross screams before the world the holiness of our God. But if the cross displays the uniqueness of His holiness, it also magnifies His unequaled love. 
Paul says here in verse 8, Christ died for us. Christ, an actual person who lived, now dies. Why? And he gives the purpose clause for us. If it's not for us, then his death makes no sense. He had no sin, so he had no need to die. The penalty for sin is death. And he had no such penalty to pay. And so his death must be for another or for others. Otherwise, the judgment of God would have been unjust, and God would have actually showed Himself to be unholy at Mount Calvary, at Golgotha, at that place of the skull. Christ was, as we read this morning, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Why? Isaiah gives the same answer as the Apostle Paul, for our transgressions, for our iniquities. As Paul says here, for us. His death made atonement for our sin. He bore the, the guilt and the shame of our sin. He bore the burden of our sin. He died to redeem us from the curse of the law. And so He suffered. He set us free from the power of death, and so He suffered. He set us free from the condemnation of hell, and so He suffered. He took upon Himself the wrath of God. And so He suffered. It is an unequaled love. Paul says in verse 7, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, he, he shows His love. This makes perfect sense in our minds. We, we know this. If there is someone that is good and kind and, and there is something that they need, we are called upon and we think to ourselves, well, yes, I'll, I'll help them. They're good and kind. They would do that for me. And so we will mow the grass for them or we'll make a meal for them or we'll help them at work. But when it's someone that's unkind or even worse, someone that's hateful or still worse than that, someone that's been hateful towards us, then there's some hesitation. And then you take that to a whole another level. Paul says to give your life for them. He says maybe, 
Just maybe we would do that for someone that is kind, for someone that's good, but someone that's evil. Love God has. And the great demonstration of his love is at the cross. It's here that we see the love of God on full display. Yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Father sends his Son and subjects him to death and his wrath. And the Son yields himself up to the wrath of his heavenly Father out of love. The result is, as Paul says, we are saved. We're saved from the wrath of God. We will be saved from the wrath of God. You know, when the sun, when he when he hangs there in those uh, final moments. And he cries out with that loud voice. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, in his humanity, Christ is feeling all the weight of that condemnation, all the burden of that sin, all the wrath of His Father is weighing upon Him. And He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's just silence. Just silent. He's experiencing all the anguish of the wrath of his father, including his silence, so that you and I don't ever have to ask, where is God? Here's an unequaled love. Here's where sorrow and love flow mingled down. Even better here is where, as the psalmist says, righteousness and peace kiss, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Holiness and love are displayed before a watching world that is gripped with sin. Where is God? He's right here. What is God like? You but need to look to the cross. The cross seems so silly to the human mind. With the eyes of faith, it becomes the most glorious 
self-revelation of God that you could possibly receive. Unique holiness and an unequaled love displayed before you. Behold your God, dear Christian. Let's pray. O Lord and our God, God of unique holiness and unequaled love, I give you praise. For truly there has been and never shall be a holiness like that which you have possessed and possess for all of eternity. The love which you bestow, which makes up your very being. What a great God. And to think that on this Good Friday, that you unite us to yourself in your Son, that we might enjoy. You in all of your holiness and all of your love for all of eternity. Ah, this is a good Friday. We have a great salvation. And we have an unequaled God. We give you praise. In Christ's name, amen.